everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I'm Molly Herford, and actually, lately, I guess I've been doing more of the Consummate Athlete thing than I've been writing about it, because it's been a really packed few weeks for me. And I'm Peter Glassford. I am a registered kinesiologist and an endurance coach, and I've been sitting in the same square, I don't know, 500 square feet um, most days for the last little bit. I think this is actually great because we have a couple questions today that are about training as a couple and stuff, and I feel like we're in a very big role reversal right now um, because I'm actually coaching a training camp and you're at home doing more computer work. So this is very counter to what we normally do. Yeah, in a lot of ways. Yeah, I think it it does relate to our main question of the day for sure. Um, Yeah, I mean, it's been good. It's not that I'm inactive. I've been running and got some cross-country skiing in and riding the trainer and swearing at my trainer. So then I'm going running more because it's much simpler. I feel like Um, you're just slowly going down this rabbit hole of just like first it's you don't really like Zwift overly much. Now you don't like the trainer overly much. Pretty soon, you know, you're not going to like disc brakes very much. You're just going to go back to one of those, you know, 1960s bikes with down tube shifting and... Oh, uh, just like a single speed or something like yeah, one of the old yeah. flip flop hubs or something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't know. There's something. To be, I think that's why I like walking. Mm-hmm. Like it's just like you don't even really need shoes. You can just like you could basically just be out in the forest and you can just go for a walk anytime you want. Mm-hmm. You know what? I have to say, I'm I'm gonna throw a, a shout out to our our friend Jody, who is from our town, but is actually currently in the town that I'm in. Um, he's actually kind of taken up walking since he got here, and he he listens to this podcast often while he's walking. And he says it's really like adding walking to his routine has completely changed him as an athlete. So again, well, and he's gotten over a knee injury similar. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it's similar to you, but he had a knee injury. Um, yeah, walking. So it's ho- the new hopefully big that thing. helped. <laughs> that and the monotonous sound of my voice hopefully was soothing for that. We apologize for that. Um, yeah, so I'm actually in Girona, Spain for a training camp with a bunch of really awesome juniors and U23 athletes from Ontario. So I've been, you know, riding with some really rad girls and and guys. Uh, lots of really fun stops. The pastries here are just insane. So a lot of croissants, uh, which is great for the fueling. Um, yeah, I'm just having a blast. This is one place where I, you know, normally I kind of start counting down the days to till a training camp ends, but this one I'm like, we could extend it. I could stay here another five weeks and keep doing this. Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, I've been trying to keep things together here at the the homestead. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's fine. <laughs> um, so, where did you? I don't know. Did you, did you have any like current events for the? The listeners and what you're up to or what's coming up uh you know we've still got just shred girls stuff coming up i uh just i guess by the time this episode's out i'll have sent out a shred girls newsletter um with sort of all of the upcoming dates from the shred girls launch party at joyride 150 near toronto to the training camp for shred girls that you and i are hosting uh up in singhampton ontario um mid-may uh, so if you want to get all the details on them, plus a bunch of other events, including ones in New Jersey and New York and Pennsylvania, um, if you head over to shred-girls.com, you can subscribe to the newsletter and kind of keep up with all of that stuff. And of course, there's still pre-orders going on. The book is out in, oh my gosh, two and a half months now, and I'm getting super excited. 
And where are we, like, there's a, there's a post, I'm asking this, and then also hopefully we're going to sort of educate the, the listener, I guess, of to what we're thinking. But with the, the Shred Girls camp, we, we have a post up on Shred Girls about mm-hmm. what it is and sort of that sort of stuff, and there's sort of a form to express interest. Um, so they can find that. I'll link to that in the show notes. But what, what are we thinking with that? That's... What is, what's sort of the age group for this Shred Girls camp? Yeah, so it's sort of that early teens, I think like 12 to 15, and it's just going to be a really sweet three-day camp where we're going to, you know, do a bunch of roads, some gravel, some fun riding, and just kind of get into like the how to train sort of thing. So it's for people who aren't girls who haven't necessarily been on any of these these kind of projects, like the one that I'm coaching right now, like who haven't had that opportunity yet. So it's kind of a almost a here's what it's going to look like if you actually do get to go on one of these and here's how you can prepare so you, you know maybe next year you'll be on one of these with me in in February. Um, so it's just going to be a really fun few days. We're going to ride, we're going to talk nutrition, we're going to stretch, we're going to do yoga, we're going to do core. It's going to be rad. Yeah, and so I think I think that like train to train or learn to train is sort of the perfect way to describe that. Um and I think, in, indeed, you know, it's if someone's got a little bit of, of cycling history and they sort of want to take it more seriously, maybe have some goals, or like you say, they want to get onto sort of that curve with the camps and stuff. I think that's our, our goal. And it's certainly if, if someone has a coach already and they're, you know, just looking to get some more face to face time with someone um, like myself or Molly, then that's sort of the idea, right? We're not necessarily looking to coach any of these younger mm-hmm. folks. We're just trying to really up the level and sort of increase the pool. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, as Molly says, it, it, they're usually super fun. We've done similar with Ellen and uh, the Quest, which we're doing in March. Um, but that's that's all full, so you can't apply for that. But this is sort of the 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 what we call this the funnel. Yeah, kind yeah. Of build a funnel. Um, so that's that. So we'll put links to shred-girls.com. Um, I'm trying to think if I have anything going on. Uh, not really. Lots of lots of plans. Thank you for that, and anyone who's come from the podcast and stuff, and some good phone consults, just talking to people about getting ready for big adventures. So yeah, keep it coming, and you can certainly connect that way or through the podcast at consummateathlete.com, uh, and keep sending these questions, which we're going to get to. Yeah, Peter, do you have a one thing this week? I, I forgot to preemptively ask you that, so I feel like I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but... Yeah, geez, I had uh, something, and mm. I'm trying to think what it was. Do, do you have one on tap? Oh, man. Um, actually, I kind of do. Um, I'll have to put the exact model in the show notes, but uh, as anyone who follows me on the internet knows, I have a very wide toe box for the fact that I have very narrow feet. Um, this is partially because I run in barefoot shoes a lot of the time. So I have a really hard time finding cycling shoes that fit. And I think the number of times that I've put out like call outs for like, does anyone know a shoe with a wide toe box is I've probably asked 15 times. Um, and I finally got a pair of Shimano mountain bike shoes. Uh, I want to say MX women's. I will make sure I'm right and put that in the show notes, but they have been awesome this camp. I didn't want to, I got them three weeks ago now, and I didn't want to say anything about them in the last couple episodes because I wanted to put them through the paces, but man, they are so comfortable. It is ridiculous. So I've been so happy with them. So that's my, that's my one thing. And for our Canadian listeners, that's Shimano. Ah, oh, yes. But, yeah. Um, that will spark wild debate, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I don't really have. I, I don't know if I have one. I, I mean, I've been using. Was my last thing a, a coffee thing? I'm trying to think. It definitely was. 
Yeah. Yeah, we talked about beverages last time, too. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just, I mean, I, I lacrosse ball. I'll just use lacrosse ball. I feel like I've used mobility stuff, too, but I'm back home to all my mobility toys. Um, just doing, doing hours of mobility. I, yeah. I've actually been foam rolling with a wine bottle here oh you're so. back to that game you should have brought one of the mobility toys i um, know i know I, but I saw i saw jeremy powers today he had like a rock in his knee uh which is crazy and so i wanted to send him a picture of the bump in my knee and see if he could get his doctor to say that i had a rock in my knee so he get that thing lanced out of there hmm. um but i've had it for not 10 years but not far off probably crazy. Uh, this like bump in this scar above my left knee i think it's mostly like uh scar tissue but anyhow uh, my left knee has been like clicking all of a sudden, um, really for no reason. So I think you know what like I think a... it is. I think it's uh, it's like when a woman is pregnant and her husband starts getting like pregnancy symptoms. I think it's because my knee has been all weird for the last couple months. So you're just getting like phantom knee symptoms. Could it's be, really maybe, sweet. Maybe as you say, our training patterns are crossing over, and we're both like having like some sort of injuries related to that or something if anyone is an expert in this field of couples training which actually like dovetails beautifully into our first question um we would love to have you on so hit us up because i feel like now i'm like wait we have a lot of questions about couples and how they train so yeah if you're if you're a psychologist who's into that let us know yeah Um, i mean all all i was going to say though was uh, i don't want to harp on my one thing but um you know just trying to spend time especially when molly's not here it's way easier actually but uh, you know i'll sit we have a yoga mat and like some low tables and stuff so like i'll sit and eat or i'm just like doing nothing on my phone like i'll sit and and you know roll on my knee or or even just like cross my legs and sit on the floor in different ways on the mat um you know watching netflix or whatever like there's there's lots of time in the day when you can fit it in so i would say that's my one thing this week is just trying to fit that in and while i do have some time and stuff uh here in the house and i'm stuck in canadian winter uh just trying to get on top of that right we all have our little clicks and pains and tightness and everything else so just a reminder you can sort of fit that in and it doesn't take more than maybe a yoga mat or a cross ball perfect well, which one do you want to do start first here? Do you want to start with the big one or the easy one? I think let's start, let's start with the shorter one because I think okay. this they kind of they're similar, but they're not quite the same question. Um, so our first question is from our good friend asking about how a couple can train for big events at the same time. And man, is this one that you and I had to learn when we trained for Ironman two years ago. Right. So I think we're starting with the big one, but that's okay. Oh, sorry. Um, I mean, yeah, technically, it's, if... it's a short one. See, this is already the problem. We're already getting into <laughs> we're, we're arguing about the couples question. Perfect. Um, yeah, so we definitely, the Iron Man, I, I didn't even think about that. That's a great example. Um, so how did we handle that? Well, I think the biggest thing for me, and I'll say this is maybe, maybe more of like the female side of things is like I had to kind of realize that your training and my training weren't going to be the same I wasn't always going to be able to be on the same ride with you we weren't always going to do the same run even though you're doing the same event your training isn't necessarily the same like Peter can handle a much bigger bike volume than I can I can actually handle probably a higher run volume than he can Um, you know swimming for me wasn't a huge priority Peter needed to learn how to swim Um, we just had you know different needs and different things that we needed to work on. So I think the first thing we needed to kind of 
get over was even though the event was the exact same, we'd both be on the start line together. We were next to each other at the start line. Our training wasn't always going to be the same, and that was okay. And it was really hard for me on days where Peter would have longer days, and I'd be really bitter and, like, you know, kind of freaking out that I wasn't doing enough, but I was doing what was right for me. It didn't really matter that he was doing, you know, 15, 20 more miles. It's super arbitrary to think that your training has to align perfectly with your partner, even the, like for the same event. Yeah, I mean, different people, right? And then often different goals, right? Mm-hmm. Like, this was my, like, first and only Ironman. This was your second. And I mean, you had goals of, of doing it and not being completely wrecked, which were similar to my goals in some way. But like, I also wanted to not die in the swim. Um, Very important. Yes. I had, And then it layered on that, like I think even related to last week's podcast with David, there's some similar elements like both of us had that Ironman. Yes. But then also that that was a single event within our, our lives, you know, our seasons. So like I raced mountain bike nationals the weekend before which was also very important and also like completely different event um so there was like a lot of variables around that right whereas i'm trying to remember even what your season looked like that year because we're two or three out um you know you you, i don't think you were doing a ton no not a ton but i like i also enjoy running more than i and like trail running more than i enjoy running on the road or you know running or like even riding to be honest at that point so, right. you know, getting in more, like, I wanted to have more run volume, like, even though that didn't necessarily line up with doing particularly great in Ironman, just like training for mountain bike nationals is not really what you do to do well in Ironman. Um, so we definitely had differing goals and things that we needed to focus on outside of that race, too. Right. So there's there's the physiology, there's the training. So we, we both had to get to sort of a similar objective, but... You know, we both had to do different things physiologically and from a just even skill perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I think also this question. So, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think how we hash through because there's sort of two questions. Let's start with the, at the top. Um, so there's also like we had to exist as a couple um, mm-hmm. while we were doing these the, this training, which is time consuming um you know and then also traveling to the event but i think the 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 bigger question is in those lead up months you know how does how do you exist right and and this may have to move beyond even us i guess too but um you you know what there's things at home that need to be done there's you know obviously um you know spend time together that sort of stuff right while there's this ironman training especially but any of these big races like leadville and stuff right they're pretty all-encompassing especially as you get closer Mm -hmm. yeah i mean i think having pretty frank discussions about like who's doing what and stuff because i know like let's let's be honest you're definitely cleaner than i am so like oh good because when i was talking to um, my one client who said this question i was like molly may not agree with this but i can you know I, i definitely do a fair bit of cleaning oh yeah yeah for the audience peter is amazing as far as a housekeeper goes it's fantastic my life is great um but nonetheless i still do some stuff it's not like i don't do anything um but making sure that not one person is ending up with the burden of all of like the household priorities and we're actually very different because normally this is the kind of like normally it's unfortunately the the female in the partnership that tends to be the one that's doing most of the cleaning and cooking on top of working and training and that's just kind of 
the status quo. Um, but when you're both training for something big, it might be time to revisit the status quo and maybe have that frank discussion about who's doing what and what responsibilities can, you know, even if it means you need to get a housekeeper in or, you know. Yeah, I had that same thought that maybe even just like a sh- even a short term trial on that, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of if it is the housekeeping or um, you know, maybe even, I don't know about ordering in food, but you know, the food service delivery things might be a solution in the short term. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just to get, especially in those key weeks, right. It might be just sometimes you have to do that. And, and some people have the means to do that and some don't. Um, but sometimes that, that just helps. Those Take some of the pressure off. Yeah. Um, you know, daycare would be maybe another spend. Right. And I mean, I, I think, with some clients, I definitely like we seen them step back and it's like, well, rather than getting, you know, the $12,000 bike, could we get the $6,000 bike and, you know, spend on some of these other things that sometimes add up, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that could be, you know, learning to skill stuff, right? Like I've had a few people who I've worked with um, not as, as closely as I probably would have liked. And then, you know, skill was a deficit and they go to something like Leadville and they get injured, right? So all the training they did and all the expensive bike wasn't the limiter, right? And and I don't know if that makes sense in that brief of a description, but I'll leave it with that. Yeah. And I think maybe just the last thing is that we've talked about this, this just keeps coming back up is the why, you know, you both signed up for an event because you thought it would be fun to both do this event. Um, So kind of keeping that at top of mind when you are hitting kind of difficult, like, you know, irritation moments in your your training together or, you know, your separate training or whatever, just remembering like, oh, right, we we paid to we're paying to do this. We opted to do this. Um, And I think when I'm thinking back, like, I think on some level, the goal wasn't just for me. I don't want this to sound sappy because it's not, but like it wouldn't have been a successful summer or a uh, trip or race if you had a crappy race. Mm-hmm. So I think like for me, and I mean, I was doing your training uh, or designing your training, I should say, not doing your training. <laughs> that um, would have been really helpful actually. Just copying it <laughs> straight on. That's how I do it. Um, although sometimes I do get excited about what clients have and it's really tempting just to copy it into my own thing. Oh, um, I just meant you were doing it for me. Like I was just not actually training. Just uploading it in. Yeah. <laughs> like super impressed. Um, oh, no, actually, like... side note, side note. Sorry. I'm using Peter's Garmin uh, at this camp right now. And let me tell you, his virtual training partner is irritatingly faster than me. And it is making me so angry. So, pro you tip. Can adjust the speed of the bird. That's not a smart Garmin, I, but I'll, I'll let you think it's me if that impresses you. It does not. It makes me really grumpy. I think my virtual training partner is doping, but anyway. <laughs> okay. I think you can turn the virtual partner off and it saves batteries too. I need but, to. It's been really depressing. Um, where was I? Uh, so anyhow, like it's a it's a team effort, right? And so the, just like the, you can't just show up at the race, you got to do the training. So then all the training and all the preparation should be a team effort. So it's things that's, I think where you have to, you know, plan the days that one person's going long and the other person's like maybe doing a shorter workout or a double day or something. Um, and going to, they're going to do some of the pre-cooking or the whatever. Right. And for the, as, as the anal partner in the couple, which that's who I am, um, you, you sometimes need to accept that it's just, you know, 
it's not going to be your perfect. So yeah. dinner might not be five stars, but you know, sometimes three star dinners, like we're just all eating rice and broccoli and uh, chicken or something anyhow. Right. Like it, it doesn't have to be super complicated. Yeah. I don't know if those are some ideas, but that's, that's all I said. Do you want to move on to the second sort of phase of that is how do you train together? Like actually physically go out the door? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and so this one actually, the uh, first aside is that this this listener apparently has crashed um, while looking at their Garmin, um, so... which means Molly wins uh, from the previous Q&A. We were arguing about whether that was a real concern. So apparently it does happen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but his question, I, I would say this person's question, was more training with, so actually like riding, actually running with, um, a spouse or partner, um, who is also, you know, training, um, and like and, training and, competitively, I'll add, not just like, yeah. And I, I mean, I think this relates to a lot of situations, right? Like when people start coaching, they sort of have this thing that everything has to be perfect and, um, they can't ever do group rides or ride with a friend, um, mm-hmm. which is like, makes me so sad. Um, but definitely sometimes you have to focus. And so it's really just aligning, the focus days with the more fun, like lower key, less structured days. Um, but you've written several articles and then also we have a, a monopod. Some of our first episodes uh, we did, Molly, or one of the first episodes we did, Molly had a episode where she talked right to this topic. Uh, so we'll link to that, but it's one of probably the first five, I think we did. I think so, yeah. And it's a short one. It's, I think, 15 minutes maybe. Yeah, so uh, do you want to give the people some examples of of sort of solutions or or where did you want to go with that? Yeah, yeah, I can kind of speak to this because I will admit, you know, when when Peter and I first started dating and stuff, I had a lot of stress around us riding together because obviously Peter is a much stronger rider than I am. So his easy rides are my much harder rides. And, you know, that does not always make for a super fun day for me. Um, It actually usually ends up with me being really irritable. So I think the first thing is actually know both of you like knowing yourselves. So Peter really likes adventuring and, you know, kind of going off and like checking out this road or whatever, not necessarily knowing like how long it is or where it leads. And a ton of people are like that. I really like having a distance in mind and knowing how long I'm going to be out, how many kilometers I'm doing, how many meters I'm climbing. Uh, I, that kind of information is very important to me. So as a rule, I don't like riding when I don't know what my end point is. So knowing what kind of person you are as a rider is, you know, really important and kind of working with that. So now Peter, if we're going to ride together, wouldn't just be like, it's going to be adventure. It might be out. We might be out for four to eight hours. Who knows? Now he knows to, you know, have a goal in mind. So. Yeah, and that's that's maybe a really good takeaway for a couple, right? Like one of the people might be a little like even it's usually the fitter person isn't so worried about it, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so just maybe those aren't the days to have crazy adventures. And for me, like I am off my bike half the time, like hiking up through like jungle grass, right? And and I've just come to realize that that's not enjoyable for many people other than me. So those are just not things I do with people, right? And and that seems obvious, but we all have those things that we do, right? It could be surging, you know, crazy or sprints or um, climbing really fast, right? And sometimes those just aren't the the days for that. And, you know, I think... um, Getting your fiancé lost in a field of pricker bushes the day before the wedding when she has a short wedding dress? 
for instance? <laughs> I don't know who did that. Um, that wasn't, was that a bike ride? Yes, it was. Oh, that was an amazing bike ride. Oh my gosh. Uh, we can't say where that was because I think that was maybe a little uh, questionable if we should have been there. Um, okay. If so, the jungle grass didn't. Not great. Not great. Um, next, so that this kind of leads into the next point of like, you just don't always have to ride together. Like it is perfectly acceptable to go do your own thing. Even if you're on a cycling vacation together, you don't always have to be riding together. It's fine. Uh, a lot of the times we start rides together or we meet up partway through the ride or something like that. And we finish a ride together. Um, but I think for us, the definitely the, like, I like going and I, I usually have like a workout and I'm a little, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm as anal as I used to be about workouts, but definitely I like having my thing and I go and I'll climb a hill or whatever. Um, and then usually there's some sort of adventure or crazy section. Mm -hmm. um, but often we'll meet, um, and then ride home, right? So it's, it's sort of, I guess, like my cool down. Um, and then in that way, it's all sort of out of my system. Um, but that, that tends to work pretty well, right? And then everyone's done what they want to, and then you sort of finish off. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then there's also just the, the self-handicapping that you can do. You know, you can ride your mountain bike while I'm on my road bike. Or, you know, I don't even... think that's the term you meant, but I think everyone would, like... Um, adding resistance i guess is that what you mean you're like, self I'm, you're self I'm not going like oh molly i've been training so hard recently i couldn't possibly i that's why i'm not keeping up no that's like fake handicapping i mean you're like you're gonna self-limit yourself yeah there's a lot of self right. in that sorry uh wider tires for example I guess don't don't optimize your, your yeah your, i guess yeah so like i run 32s usually and um like you can sit up like you wouldn't use your drops if you're you know mm -hmm. obviously like that would you wouldn't try and be arrow mm -hmm. uh, you would let the person draft if they you know if it was opportune but you don't necessarily have to is also a nice thing to do yeah oh so uh -huh. i think one of the other things people don't do very often is actually maybe this drafting i mean I, the number the number of rides that we've done especially you know in the beginning where i would murder myself to stay next to you versus sitting in your draft mm. you know because it's you're out riding together you want to be able to talk and stuff like that's great but you know it's also a lot easier in the draft so not being afraid to go sit in the draft and just kind of enjoy that um i think is super important yeah even for sections of the ride right yeah uh exactly um and then my last thought that I had we might actually end up having more my last really ki it kind of is sneaky or it's one that you can discuss beforehand um, would be to actually sync your cycling computer to your partner's heart rate monitor um, because if you are much stronger it might not occur to you how hard someone is going and how hard they're working um, but if you can actually see your partner's heart rate the whole time you can appropriately adjust so that they're not dying yeah i do that I, we i don't know if we've done that that often but uh i definitely do it with some of the the folks i coach and sometimes it'll be because we're going to do intervals while we're riding and so it's sort of like motor pacing or like self-guided but um, it definitely gives you a little bit of perspective on what's going on in someone right and you obviously have to have their some idea of like what sort of state they're in as far or not state but what their max heart rate would be in this case or if you're using power what what is a relative hard power for them mm -hmm. um oh i do have one more thing um don't be that guy the one that like gets to the top of a climb 
sits and waits, has a snack, whatever. And then when your partner crests the hill, like, probably a little dejected, probably a little out of breath, probably also would like to stop and, you know, take in the scenery and have some water. Don't just start pedaling again. Let her stop, too. Come on. Let them stop, too. Let them stop, um, too. I've, yeah. I've yelled at so many so many people on mountain bike trails because I've seen their partners, and this is actually men and women, like, partner is, like, minutes back, like, crying. And, you know, as soon as they get caught up, they just, the other person just hits the gas and just goes, and the person just gets this look of just utter despair. And it's kind of heartbreaking because you're like, wow, that person is never going to want to ride with that guy again. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that like mountain biking or like really hilly routes are obviously going to be harder, right? Because you're starting to get into some other variables for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, if, if someone, if the person you want to ride with is actually really good technically, um, you know, that could be a way like a, a fit road rider could ride with someone who's a less fit, but mountain biker and is really good. And that may level the playing field really nicely, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, and I will say the other, okay, last last thing this time, I swear, um, is if you want to ride with your partner and you don't want to annoy her and or him and you're aware that you're much stronger, you know what? Go out and do an hour or two hour loop before you ride, like get up earlier, go out for part of your ride first and then go do the ride. That way you're a little bit tired um, you've kind of already done whatever work you needed to do and you can go on this long ride kind of already uh, a court low and you'll probably be a little more evenly matched and have a good time. Yeah, and I think the only thing I would add is so there's the our motor pacing example, but there's also I think something I've learned as well is like it's it's also okay to just go easier sometimes and just let it be easy and mm-hmm. don't look at like if you're the stronger person just like like and a lot of times when we ride together especially those like rides where we're sort of going home like I, I try and just let you ride and like if there's a car coming I'll actually go behind you and then sort of come back up beside you and then that way your ride is sort of like not like you're not spiking to like go behind and come back and whatever um oh, here, and, I, here uh, I thought that was because I'm so strong <laughs> <laughs> I want to make a comment about riding behind you, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> um, no, but then that way, like, it's it's not always about the, like, trying to hold on to the wheel of the faster person, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I think that's fine. And I mean, sometimes I'll, like, work on just pedaling fast. Like, I'll just do some higher cadence work. Um, you know, again, sit up a little bit more if you need to is another thing. I hesitate to say anything about fueling because if you're dealing with spouses, it's probably good to be fueled and not get into some sort of hypoglycemic state where you're going to be hangry. Uh, Flip Um, side, uh, similar to never asking a woman if she's on her period, you probably (laughs) don't want to ask if she's been eating and drinking enough. Like maybe just mention that you're realizing you haven't been eating or drinking enough, whether you're, again male or female or whatever um no one really likes someone being like oh seems like you haven't been drinking enough it's very irritating (laughs) this coming for someone who doesn't eat or drink much at all yes exactly but if you were to say like oh man i just realized i haven't been drinking i will take that information and be like oh yeah me neither i should drink more but if you're like have you been drinking i'm gonna snap at you and tell you yes i have obviously can't you tell from my two full bottles that i've been drinking plenty I guess that's a good social 
tool or social, I don't know what that would be, technique. EQ, Uh, higher EQ. (laughs) Yes, I have very low social EQ. Um, But it does segue into um, what was our sort of third area. So do you want to go to that one? I think that's a good one, yeah. The note of fueling and and training of the gut. Mm -hmm. Um, So the question is, can you train your gut? Um, And by this, there's sort of a few ways to look at training of the gut. So this is sort of our fueling, right? So I think there's the the high, like extreme or elite version is sort of, you can read it. There's some studies and research that are sort of around right now about training the gut to use more carbohydrate, um, you know, when you're doing an Ironman or something like that. So rather than sort of that, what is it usually like 200 calories or... 50 grams uh, of carbohydrate. It's sort of like that's sort of the common recommendation, but you're seeing some of these elite athletes pushing up to like 90 grams an hour, um, plus or minus. And so the idea that you're training your gut to use more, um, and it seems like that's very possible. Um, But I think the more important thing for a lot of us is to actually just practice eating. So the skill of eating, pulling something out of your pocket, you know, the regularity of doing that. And then just the, the, what comes with that, which you can even touch on while is just the, the like feeling of fullness, um, mm-hmm. you know, while you're riding, right. It's sort of odd if you, if you're used to doing hour rides or something and not eating. Yeah. I always say, uh, whenever I'm giving a nutrition talk, like the perfect amount of fullness, like, you know, you did a ride, right. When you come in the door and you don't feel the need to stick your head in the refrigerator and eat everything in sight um you should get in feeling like oh maybe i could eat whatever but you're not starving um and most people and i mean i can say this having you know we've been at a lot of camps most people finish rides and immediately head for food um which usually is an indicator that they've not eaten enough in the ride itself um these camps are always good for me as peter said i do not eat or drink enough um as a general rule, but when I'm at a camp as a coach, it's the one time that I can't be the cracked or bonky rider. So I am suddenly an eating fiend on the bike. Definitely more than I ever eat normally. And so ideally, um, you know, you would be training more ahead of a camp. We don't want these camps to be huge, um, you know, bumps in your training load right because mm-hmm. it increases our risk of injury and illness and everything else um so what would go along with that preparation is then that you're also we could say training the gut but also you're just getting used to fueling right so what do you carry what kind of food do you like do you like solids or more liquid um you know what works at what intensity um yeah and, and, all, and all these factors and then just the actual feeling of putting a cliff bar in your mouth every hour mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it's a lot of food, but, you know, we, we know that in these longer events, especially, or in the case of Molly's, you're gone for two weeks here doing, you know, five hour rides. Um, you know, there's just at some point you'll see it, right? Like the, the people that sort of get through and survive day one and two, they, they think they're doing okay, but you'll see it right in day three, four, five, six those people just have nothing like they're just drained right Mm -hmm. i think in terms of the gameplay it's also important to point out like you know i know a lot of pros and a lot of racers and riders who eat real food when they're on the bike training um and then they shift to you know more of a gel or sports drink type thing when they race and i generally think that's not a that's a great thing i'm all about whole food on the bike but if you are going to try to do a race 
you do need to practice fueling with the fuel that you're going to be eating on race day. Um, your stomach is going to process gels a lot differently. And then it's going to maybe process a peanut butter sandwich. Um, so training your gut for the actual fuel that you're planning on using is super important. The amount of people who end up, you know, in the porta potty or throwing up on the side of the road because the gels are just not going down very well at some of these events, it's pretty high. Yeah, and I don't know how much, like, to me, the, the solids are going to be generally more difficult to digest. And I, I wonder how many of those people struggle with the actual gel or if it's that they're not you know in the excitement of racing a maybe their gut is a little different when they're going hard or b are they just not drinking any water um but you need to know how much you need to drink and you need to know how that gel is going to taste and stuff because i mean honestly even the consistency and everything like that I, gels kind of take some getting used to so your first time using it shouldn't be on race day hundred percent agree. Yeah, I, I guess I'm I'm really arguing semantics here of whether it's the gel's fault or whether it's mm. the the user's fault for not drinking while they race. Um, but yeah, it's definitely you know when you're doing again, this isn't year round. I think all this stuff should be uh, periodized, really, right? You know, go once you're in that early you know early base, you probably don't need to eat much, and then as the volume comes up, you can sort of bring your peanut butter sandwich and your bananas with you, and then as you start you know late base build, you can start adding in some gels when you're actually like doing some of those high octane, you know, sprint workouts and VO2 stuff and stuff like that and getting ready for racing. Um, you know, that should be a few times a week, you know, one to three, probably one to three interval sessions a week where you're, you're trying to keep that sugar in because we know that that's going to increase the performance. Um, you know, even just the perception of that sugar in your mouth is going to increase that performance. So we want that training to be high quality. We want the recovery to be high quality. And then we're also just training. I, I like to think of it more of the skill of eating, drinking, um, and, and then that digestion as being sort of a secondary concern, mm -hmm. um, which, which is a concern, but I think secondary for a lot of people to the actual, like, put the water in, put the, the food in. Yeah. And I think maybe the last thing to mention about this is, um, one of the questions is about one of the questions within this was asking like, should I eat a big meal before I train? Or is that like a way to, you know, get the gut ready? I don't think that's necessarily the way, but, um, the timing of when you do some of your training rides, like if you're doing a race, that's going to start at 8am. Um, I do think you should probably at least try to do some rides where you get up, you eat breakfast and you basically game play getting out the door for like an 8am start. Uh, that way, you know, how your breakfast food sits in your stomach, you know, eat what you're going to eat on race day for breakfast. Um, I think a lot of people kind of make that mistake. And, you know, night before the race, they're like, Oh, crap, what do I eat tomorrow morning? Uh, because, you know, they're used to training later, like after work. So they're used to, you know, whatever they normally have for breakfast and then not training for nine hours. And then suddenly it's, oh, wait, I need to get out the door immediately after I eat breakfast and race. Yeah. And I think there there is an element um, more for running, I think, where there actually is. And I'll put the link um, for this in the show notes. But the, if you're running, especially, I think there is a little bit where you can sort of like overload the gut a bit, like almost put weight in your gut um, so that when you run, then it might stress the gut more than it might even on race day. And then your gut gets better at just handling having something in it while you run. Uh, pro tip uh, on that. If you try this, please make sure there's like a porta potty or like a McDonald's or something within a couple kilometers of your starting point. Yeah, yeah, definitely for sure. But the... I think there, there's some good logic. Again, I don't think we need to even go down the, the sciencey part of it. Like, I think just, you know, 
have a bit of water one time and then a bit more water and then build up a little bit if you know that's that's going to help your fueling in like a longer event i I think that makes sense um yeah yeah Yeah, i I think think that's that's all that's all i really had to say yeah, no, I think that's that pretty much pretty much covers all of it. Um, and make sure as you're training your gut that that includes drinking as much as you're eating or a- appropriate amount to what you're eating. Yeah, I think that it really just gets back to like, what are you going to do on race day and then just practice that, right? Like in all senses. So you talked about wake up time, meal time, um, eating on the bike, gear on the bike, like pace on the bike. Um you know, and that's definitely not year round, but that's sort of what you want to be thinking about for sure. And then you won't hopefully be that nervous. Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right, let's move on to our last question. Um, and this is definitely more for you here. Um, do you get to add time to indoor workouts to compensate for being more efficient than outdoors? So first of all, maybe explain where this question is coming from. Yeah, I haven't heard this for a while, but like I, I think, and I can't find the reference because I don't think I, I think I might have thrown or burnt the book. But um, there's a, I think it was like an old CTS um, thing, but I'm sure there's other sources for it. Where if you rode indoors, um, you you would sort of you would ride less time. So it was like 45 minutes equaled an hour um, outside. Does that make sense? Uh, it does in theory, but I will strenuously argue it like in actuality, but continue. Well, and then so they had like swimming was actually less. Um, and then running, I think, was like similar to that, like riding inside. So say 45 minutes of running equaled an hour of biking. And I think that's now essentially been like, it was just odd. I never, it never made sense even when I was started, but I'm sure there was a good thought to it. And I think a lot of it was trying to get towards training stress. So now we have TSS score, um, which is maybe beyond this discussion, but like we've, we've just sort of moved beyond that. And we have ways of quantifying the volume and the intensity and the load um, so I, I don't think that it, it, it would necessarily be worth it. I think it would be worth, you know, just being careful with how long you spend inside, um, and mixing up sort of what you're paying attention to, which I think we've talked about, mm-hmm. um, you know, mixing up your mode. We're here at the consummate athlete. So, I mean, certainly getting swimming, getting running, you know, fat biking outside, you know, biking on your trainer with some focus. Um, I think that all makes sense, but yeah, I, I have never bothered like accounting like trying to do like a multiplier factor or something just because someone's inside um i think if anything what you would see again from a training stress score so if you're putting power or heart rate into the system you would see that you're not coasting as much you're not stopping on the side of the trail so you should have a more efficient ride so your heart rate will be higher for that hour versus if maybe you were you know out mountain biking or something so i think in in that sense that would be reflected by the efficiency of an indoor ride yeah, I guess there's no downhills in an indoor ride. Right, and that's what they were. I think ultimately, like, I again, I don't believe I own the book anymore for assorted reasons, but um, the I think it got down to, like, there was no coasting and there was no downhills, and so you just, like, the load was always on your legs, which is true, but, I, I mean, that's that's great, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm just not really sure with this question, you know, kind of what the, what the correct answer answer is i think maybe the only mistake i think people maybe make is like if they have a you know say six hour outdoor ride um how do they 
turn that into a Trina ride? That might be a better question or like a more pointed sure. question. No, um, I think so... that's that's a great way of looking at it. I think you're exactly right. Yes. Um, <laughs> and, and so I think periodization is the example and, and not following. I'm trying to think back if we were talking about this on this podcast or not. I think that was all when I was on the Canadian Cycling podcast. Um, you know, we're not we're not in the pro tour. Um, and, and so you just need to embrace what you can do. Like this is really like a block periodization where you're indoors. So work on your coordination and your one leg and some focused intervals and then go. Hopefully you can cross country ski or run or whatever you do for cross train. Um, but you probably then, wouldn't tell someone to like take that six hours that they were supposed to ride outside and put that six hours onto the trainer. Like that no, would just like, be terrible. I put a cap in 90 minutes usually and, and there's exceptions. Like I do have people that are, you know, not necessarily pro tour, but quite elite. Um, and for some of them, we'll, we'll certainly sprinkle that in. Um, and we'll certainly do things like ride for an hour, run for 45, ride for an hour um, and mix it up. We'll mix like 90 minutes freezing outside on your bike and then come in and finish another 90 on the trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's ways of like tweaking that, but those like four hour slug fast on the trainer like i'll i'll do it occasionally like if i was getting ready to go to california i'd maybe do one or two in the 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 week to 10 days before i went down um but again like for most people it's just that energy that mental energy and is just it's not it's not worth it i don't think yeah yeah, definitely. Having done a couple of those back in my first original Iron Man days, would not do again. Yeah, I mean, I think most people like you can just do that those big hours, you know, as the well, the days the weather gets better, um, go out on your cross country skis. You can in March, you can go, you can go away. Some people are doing little camps. Um, you know, D- diminishing I, even, returns. I think that's exactly it, and I think again, I just that motivation like it's too often you see those people like it's all it's classic zone quote-unquote zone two workout Mm -hmm. um and there's just no speed ever like the speed just gets lost um so i'd much rather see someone working on their their cadence like doing some big cadence blocks some super good focus with that um you know maybe mixing in some sweet spot you know so that you're getting the most bang for your buck and then yeah you know some 90 minute just sort of endurance rides i think are great Perfect. Awesome. All right. I think we're going to wrap it up there. And of course, as always, if you have more questions, hit us up on consummateathlete.com. There's a forum on there, or you can find us on Instagram or Twitter at Peter Glassford and at Molly J. Herford. Uh, Like we said, we have some cool events coming up. So check the show notes for all the links that we mentioned before. And of course, if you could head over to iTunes and rate and review, we would be forever grateful. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, 
Uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much. And we will see you next week. <laughs>